0: Peter Thomas Fornital here. We at In the Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show, and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash offtrack. That's trfinc.org slash offtrack. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Bay Gelding, full June 3rd, 1983, in New York, by Warmfront, out of Sweet Amaryllis, by Rare Earth. 17 starts, 1 win, 1 second, 1 third. Earnings, $26,460. Chockey Club name, extended forecast. This is his story, Off Track, as told by the woman who bred him, fold him, broke him, raised him, owned him, and loved him, Sue Bobley. <laughs> Be joined by Sue Bobley, here of 18 Carat Farm, and someone who just has a long history in the world of thoroughbreds, retirement, owning, breeding. Sue, thank you so much for joining me today. Well,
1: I'm delighted to be here, I think.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited and delighted to hear your stories. and um, the horse that honestly I want to talk about that got everything started for you was extended forecast, but we also need to learn where extended forecast came from. I mean, he was bred on your farm. So how, from someone who I know was from the show world, how did you come to acquire his dam, have her bred and then have a foal on your farm?
1: Well, that's a bit, that's a wonderful story, I think. Um, I was in the show world and I wanted to have a beautiful horse that I could make myself. So I went to Rojan Farms, Ellen Bongard, who just passed away, um, in the seventies. And I purchased a weanling and I brought this weanling home. We lived on Long Island and we had a small barn and, um, she basically grew up in my kitchen, uh, you know, like like a little pet, and I broke her myself. I rode her, years went by, and uh, my father-in-law retired, and he used to go to the racetrack. He said to me, Susie, why don't you get into the uh, New York State Breeding Program? I said, oh, no, I don't love racing, and I also... You know, I'm not interested in, in having racehorses. And then I said, however, if I could breed my own, maybe I'd do it. I took my nine-year-old mare, show horse, who had never been to the track, but she did have a beautiful pedigree, for, I must say. And I found a local stallion. We bred her and fold her in our backyard. We had a nice barn with a, a camera you know, she was pregnant for 12 months, not 11 months. And I was sitting up in my kitchen waiting for the day. Uh, however, uh, Peter, my husband, uh, foaled, the, the started foaling the foal when it was when she was being born. And the vet came, and we had a beautiful little cult. However, when the cult was about two months old, uh, the vet said to me, he's growing very fast and he's going up, his uh, tendons are contracting. And if you can't, you, it, you won't have a horse of any sort if you don't get him to the University of Pennsylvania to have surgery. And that was a very traumatic thing. I rode in the truck with the mare and the foal uh, to Pennsylvania. He had A tendon surgery, I forgot what it was called. Anyway, he had the surgery, came back home and they told me at Pennsylvania, you can't feed him any grain when he gets older because he grew too fast and you, you want the tendons to stay the way they are. So I said, all right, I won't have a racehorse. I'll just have another, you know, pet. And the farm manager where the stallion stood called me. And when this, he was already grown, he was a year old. And the farm manager said to me, how did your baby turn out? And I said, oh, he's not going to be a racehorse. Uh, this is what happened to him. The farm manager said to me, uh, let me come and look at him. And he came to my house and he looked at the, this yearling who was huge, but I didn't even realize it, to tell you the truth. And he said, this is some horse. And my husband, Peter, said to me, if you can get this horse to the racetrack, I'll give you 10%. So that's how it all started. We broke him in my backyard, all by, Sam and I did it, this farm manager and I. I was the first person on his back. I walked and I trotted with him. And when it came time to gallop, we took him back to the farm where Sam worked. And they had a track. Um, and then we met this ex-jockey who was a fabulous rider who worked for uh, Jimmy Picou. I don't know if Maggie, if you know Jimmy, uh, he was an old trainer, a very fine trainer. And Kenny Hargrave was his uh, assistant trainer who was an ex-jockey. So Kenny said to me while we were at the farm, he started galloping uh, forecast and uh, he said to me, you know, I'm a trainer. I have a license. I said, okay, you can train my horse. <laughs> so that's how it all started. Well, Kenny started working with the horse, and we started bringing him to Belmont Racetrack to work. And the, um, the um, what are they called? The clockers. The clockers at the track. So every time this horse worked, whether we wanted it or not, uh, he had a bullet work so this horse was getting a reputation around Belmont park. And, um, anyway, when it was time for him to first run, uh, every, he went off as the odds on favorite and I bought a red hat (laughs) and, uh, the gate opened and all the horses came out except forecast. And so, uh, Anyway, and make a long story short, he finally got the idea that he was supposed to run. He made up 20 lengths, and uh, he came in fifths, his first race.
0: I have to say you have an extraordinary memory. I mean, because that's 1986. So that's 35 years ago. And the fact that you remember he came in fifth, I mean...
1: I've told this story a few times before. Yeah. It's well rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I love telling the story. Uh, but anyway, as he, he kept progressing and he earned little bits of money, he came in third, he came in second a few times. And when Saratoga opened that summer, uh, he was entered and he ran and he won. So, that was my introduction to race. Let me ask you: did, Had you
0: been to Saratoga? Was Saratoga what it is to many people? Was it the mecca? You know, the the institution of racing that it is to so many people. Had you realized what it meant to win a race at Saratoga?
1: I couldn't. I, we couldn't get over it. We stayed at the Gideon Putnam Hotel, and we had all kinds of beautiful clothes. Uh, you know, my in-laws had an apartment in Saratoga, uh, because my father-in-law was retired and he, you know, liked racing. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was an exciting, thrilling time. Um, and we, from that time on, anyway, that horse, um, forecast after, uh, that one race at Saratoga, he got a chip in his knee. And he really wasn't, he had surgery on his knee, but he never was able to make a comeback, which we did try. And I had a small barn and I, it was filled with, you know, my children's pony and other horses. And I did, I couldn't ride Forecast. He was too tough for me. And I did not know what to do with this gorgeous racehorse that I bred, that I loved. And uh, that is where I turned to an organization that I had just heard of called the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. And somebody told me that they might be able to uh, accommodate me and take this horse and take care of him for the rest of his life. And that's the only thing I wanted, any horse that I've ever had gets taken care of for the rest of its life, no matter what he's done, good or bad. So I wrote a letter and uh, they told me that they would, uh, they had no room for him at that time, but if I could hold him for a few months, they would find a spot for him. And uh, he went to uh wallkill prison a few months later and uh, I had a wonderful relationship with the Walk Hill, um manager of the farm and the inmates. And every year I would go up and visit Forecast um, at Wallkill Prison. And uh, I've developed a very wonderful fondness for this organization.
0: Well, in the first, how did you hear about the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, the TRF, because at that point it was still somewhat in its infancy. It, Wallkill was the first program that they offered. So, how did you hear about them?
1: I just word of mouth because here I had this horse that I couldn't ride, that I knew that I was going to have to take care of him forever until he was thirty or whatever. So uh, I just made inquiries and people told me about Thoroughbred Retirement, which had just started. And I wrote this letter to a woman who uh, was running it at the time. I think her name was um, Barbara Kirkham, but there was um, Monique Keeler who started the organization. But I wrote this long, long handwritten letter about Forecast and his interesting life, Cinderella life. And uh, she got back to me, and they took him into Wallkill. There were thirty-seven horses at Wallkill Prison when he went there.
0: So, when you went to visit him annually, as you did, what was it like for you? What were did you see him interacting with the the students, the inmates that were there?
1: Yeah, I did. And um, I also was, it was amazing to me because every year that I went there, I would whistle, he'd be in a paddock and I would whistle for him and call his name and his ears would twitch when he heard my voice and he would gallop to me, uh, you know, away from his, his friends. And it would make me cry every, every time I saw him. But he lived at Walk Prison for 25 years, Maggie. He passed away when he was 29 years old and they took care of him in the best way. I mean, every time I saw him, he was shiny and clean and, and it was and well fed. It was wonderful.
0: That is amazing. So. He not only kind of opened the door for you to get involved, obviously, in thoroughbreds and racing for a bit, um, but also taught you about this lifelong sanctuary, obviously, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, but also kind of opened the door for you to be that person to provide some sanctuary for some horses as well. So let's go back and who was the next horse after Forecast? I mean, I know you you've dabbled in racing, but who was that next race horse for you?
1: Well, Kenny Kenny Hargrave was a very sharp horseman, and he heard of a horse. We said we would claim a horse, and he heard of a horse that was running at um, Finger Lakes that for some reason he liked, and um, we claimed that the horse came down to Aqueduct. And uh, he claimed this horse for me. Um, The horse's name was Uncompromise. And Uncompromise had had won one race, I think, but uh, Finger Lakes did not have any grass racing. And Kenny Hallgrave said this horse wait till the spring, wait till the grass. And this horse started winning on the grass. And he also became a named horse uh, who who won at Saratoga until he was seven. Every single year from that time on, we would bring him in my little two horse trailer. We would drive up to, to Saratoga And uncompromised, compromise, he would enter him in races like handicap races, where he he ran against million-dollar horses. And this horse would win. He was written up in the newspaper a lot because he was so unique. And he ran until he was seven. um, And winning, he won quite a bit of money. uh, Because in those days, the New York um, Breeders' Program was very lucrative. So... Anyway, so that was the second one. And then I kept switching from trainers to different horses. But every horse that has ever crossed my path, I have pledged in my head and in my heart to take care of them for the rest of their lives. And I've never, ever had an instance where I didn't do that. Um, ended up, I ended up with about 16 horses, uh, horses that we have bred and horses that we, um, bought and, um, I, we had to buy a big farm to be able to take care of them and we're still doing it.
0: As you say, you must have a very understanding husband.
1: (laughs) He's the best. Yes, I do. Yes. The horses have, But the horses have made um, an interesting, wonderful um, life for us. We've met wonderful people. Um, I've educated a lot of people. Um, I've, I used to be a school teacher, by the way. So um, somehow there's something about me that wants to teach people about the horses that they have after they're finished racing. They need... Uh, to care for them and, or find the proper place for the horse to be cared for. And that is my, my life, I guess you could call it. So
0: that is your passion as well. And so as far as the horses, well, let's get back to 18 carat farm. When did you purchase and did you set out to make 18 carat farm that kind of lifelong sanctuary for the horses that you had?
1: Well, we, um, we had, we've always had a small farm on long Island and uh, we called it 18 carat farm and um, it's spelled K-A-R-A-T, but it really means the vegetable. (laughs) That's really what it should have been um we do a lot of 18 a lot of carrots but um anyway we um after many many years we purchased i think about maybe 15 years ago peter's better with years than i am uh but we purchased a farm near saratoga and uh we just needed more room because we were accumulating horses any horse that had ever run for me or tried to run for me, I kept. So we had a lot of winners and losers. And luckily we were able to accommodate them all. And then we built the farm in Saratoga. Um, We started building it after the first farm that we uh, built, that we bought, um, it wasn't close enough to Saratoga and we wanted to be here. So we found a piece of property, uh, by the way, on the same street as Rojan Farms, which which sold me my very first thoroughbred, and so it was. I felt that my life had come full circle when we when we built this farm from from scratch. It was not a horse farm before we had it, and um, you know, people always knew that I took care of the horses and they would beg me to take their horses and take care of them. And I've done that with a few people, but um, for the most part, they are my horses. And um, I just have a pledge to them to take care of them forever, as long as they live. Are you out there doing all the work
0: yourself with all these horses?
1: Uh, hardly. I'm 82 years old, <laughs> and uh, so I still I, I still ride a little bit. I have a pony that I ride. I don't ride the thoroughbreds, but I have a pony that I can ride, and I've ridden some polo horses that my friend has. Um, but I oversee everything, and the man that takes care of our farm, and has he has been with me for 30 years. So he's been through extended forecast and uncompromise and every horse that we've had. Um, So he knows us so well, and we are so fortunate to have him. Uh, His name is Ping Williams, and um, we have other people that help him also. So that's how we go. And do you get
0: to spend time with some of the horses? Like currently who's your who's your favorite horse to go see?
1: Well, every every day our our house is right near the barn. So every day I walk to the barn and I watch the horses be turned out. And um Pretty Boy Freud was an interesting horse that we had. Have you you must have heard of him because
0: Yes, 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 definitely. He was – he started running like – or he was still running, I should say, right when I started working in New York. So I, I t- definitely remember his name.
1: So Pretty Boy Freud, do I have time to tell you this whole story?
0: You have as much time as you want to, please. No, i he was going to be my next question.
1: A pretty Boy Freud uh, is a um, – I, I have another horse called the Confidence Man who was from the, from the same mare as Pretty Boy Freud. That's why I bought Pretty Boy Freud. The, the, um, the owner of the mare called me and said, Sue, you have to buy this this horse.
0: And you bought him at a two-year-old sale, am I right?
1: I bought him after the sale. He didn't sell. I bought him directly <clears throat> from the mare's owner. And uh, he, was, he was okay. He was doing all right. Um, and Saratoga came. And uh, he was, I used Leo O'Brien at this point um, as my trainer. And Leo uh, entered the horse on the first day. I think it was opening day of Saratoga. And the horse gets Lasix although he never bled, and I never wanted my horses to have Lasix. By the way, when my horses were at the track, I used to go there every single morning and watch them train, and and I knew everything that was uh, going on with them, you know, the medications that they were getting and all that. Well, um, evidently, something happened with the Lasix that he got, and when he went to run... He started running, and then he he could barely finish the race. And they took him back to the barn in the ambulance, and the veterinarian said, or or Leo O'Brien called it the thumps. He had the thumps, and the thumps came from too much Lasix or something. So anyway, all of Saratoga went by, and came uh, Traverse Day of that same season. And the horse by that time had recuperated and was ready to run. But because of the incident that happened on the first day of Saratoga, he went off at 50 to one. And lo and behold, the horse wins beautifully. All right, at 50, he paid a hundred and some odd dollars. By the way, we rarely bet on our horses. So anyway, um, after that, he started winning and he was on a streak and he Leo was entering him in the small stakes races. And he went back to Belmont and he was training for one of the little New York stake races. And he was on the training track at Belmont and he, he had a jockey. I forgot which jockey it was. I think it was David Cohen and uh, he fell down. And he broke his leg and and it was, I was not there. I was up in Saratoga on the farm and Leo said, this horse can't be put down right now. And somehow they got him back to the barn and they put a cast on him and I went down to see him and, um, they couldn't operate on him because the bone had gone through on his ankle. The bone had gone through the skin. So anyway, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible thing, but the horse was uh, able somehow to lay down and stand up. And after a few weeks, they stabilized him enough to bring him up to Saratoga in a, in a horse ambulance. And we got him here. And Ping spent one year with this horse, never taking a vacation, and taking care of this, this invalid, in, in stall-bound horse for a year. He had all neighbors coming up the street every day, bringing him candy and bringing him carrots and apples and, and peppermints. And this horse somehow survived it and uh was able to i said, "I just want the horse to be able to eat grass and and um lo and behold, the horse can gallop today. he can gallop across a field and he can do anything, of course, his ankle is very uh very big, but it, it it's it what happened it what did they call it it um, fused itself, his ankle fused. That, he was a miracle horse, but the vet said that it, it had to do with the fact that he was able to lie down and get up because Barbaro you know, at Pennsylvania had that same sort of an injury and uh, Barbaro like, didn't make it.
0: Now for you, how much, I mean, is, have horses just, is it something you've always wanted to do is, is have horses and have them be such a part of your life? Or is this something that just kind of snowballed? Was it always a plan or was it just something that happened?
1: I, I'm so, I'm, I'm just very fortunate. Um, first of all, uh, Maggie, I was born a vegetarian. I don't know how it happened or how I knew, but I've always been a vegetarian. I, I could not, never eat an animal anything with a face. So that was, and in my generation, it was too weird. People were not like me. Um, I always had an affinity for every animal, but the thing was, I only wanted a horse my whole life. I wanted a horse and I never got one. I, my parents took me to ride a horse like at a dude ranch or, uh, you know, where you rent a horse for an hour. But they never knew enough, and I never knew enough about uh, the actual care of a horse. So um, I didn't get a horse until after I was married. And of course, I'm so fortunate to have married Peter, the right man, who said to me, um, after I had my children, he said, uh, take up a sport. And I said, I'm going to go back to riding. And so I took up riding seriously. And I bought my first horse. And it just snowballed from there. But it was uh, show horses and dressage that I did. And uh, it, it, it just expanded. And luckily, we were able to expand with it. I I could I I could never imagine that my life could be as wonderful as it is because the horses have made it so.
0: Oh, that's so perfect. I got chills. That's really really cool because Oftentimes when, when you speak to people that are in the position that, that you are, it was always their mindset that this was going to happen or they were, you know, raised in that type of environment or they were, you know, they had parents like like myself, born into a horse family. And, you know, it's always been a gold mine. But for that to happen as it did with you is really special. And what, I mean, just what a life that you've had. You,
1: yes. And the animals have really made my life. I have, uh, well, our last dog just passed away. Um, I have cats in the barn. I have koi fish that I treat (laughs) like, I treat them like uh, special animals. We built an indoor pond for them for the winter. (laughs) I have have koi fish in my basement. Not everyone can say that. Yeah. No, so uh, I'm an animal lover, but especially horses. Horses have made made my life um, perfect.
0: Well, as far as extended forecasts, what was the biggest lesson that he taught you?
1: That you can come from humble beginnings and and be a, a star. That's what he taught. Live in the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. But I call him Cinderella, the, the male Cinderella horse. Yeah.
0: I like that. I like that. And if you could describe him... Or use three words. What were the three words that um, fit him best?
1: Tough, beautiful, and um, loving.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story of him. As you said, it was just a a rags to riches type of story and and a a humble beginning. And to winning at Saratoga uh, is nothing short of extraordinary. And same with uh, Pretty Boy Freud as well. But most of all, Sue, thank you so much for doing everything you have for these horses and providing them homes for their entire lives.
1: Well, it's the least I can do for them because they've provided a life for me that I will always, you know, remember and uh, be grateful for. And they made it. The horses made my life. Yeah, really. That's it. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie.
0: Wow, what an extraordinary woman Sue Bobley is. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of Off Track. And Sue not only has taken care of all of her horses and some other people's horses throughout her life, but she's also hosted many uh, evening or a gathering to support the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation at her 18-carat farm. And for someone that has so much love in their heart, it's no wonder that all these good things have happened to her. I also have to give a special thanks to our friend Kim Weir of the TRF who helped Sue conduct this interview with me and as always has been very instrumental in getting the stories of the horses of the TRF and just the mission of the TRF out there to everyone. So thank you Kim and as always if you have a little love in your heart for these horses you can visit TRF Inc. Dot org slash off track to make a little donation today